Amen. Good morning, church family. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Luke 23. If you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, we have been working our way through Luke 23, and it has been a wonderful thing for the church and for me as well. And uh, I have got to say, I'm going to be sad when Luke comes to an end because I have just so enjoyed spending this time with Jesus, haven't you? Amen. Amen. All right. So last time where we left off, we were uh, looking at Jesus being passed back and forth between Herod and Pilate. And now in this text today, he has landed back at Pilate's court. And um, nobody can really find anything that is execution worthy as the religious leaders have sought that. And so they're looking here to try to figure out a loophole so that they don't want, I think, the pilot does not want the consequences of executing an innocent man hanging over his head. There's a little problem of revenge and things like that that tends to happen when people are executed unjustly. And uh, I think the worst thing that can be said about Jesus that is maybe truth is he's an unpopular prophet among the religious leaders of his day. I think we can all agree that's probably very true as they're leading the charge to have executed. Uh, They were the ones that have made the accusation Jesus is telling people not to pay taxes, that he's saying he's king, not Caesar, and that's what they're trying to use to get him executed, but the Roman officials are struggling to see what they see. So we pick up with that here in Luke 23, 18 through 25. This is the word of God. Hear it. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has, this, has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had they asked but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Amen. May God add blessing to the reading of his holy inerrant infallible word. Say it with me if you know it, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. All right. Um There is not really, you know, I always try to bring you something kind of fresh, interesting, maybe even fun as an opening illustration. I can't do that with this text. That's not the mood of this text. That's not where the emotion of this text is. The emotion of this text is very heavy and sad. So the best I can do to you is render a situation that happened to me in Indiana. I came to southern Indiana on the tail end of a very well-known in the area murder trial. And it was a retired police officer who was convicted or was put in jail and and convicted once and then acquitted twice and then later released for being falsely acquitted for murdering his wife and two children in 2000. Uh, He was the church that I came from before here. He was a member of 
the church that met on that campus. But whenever he went to jail, that church split in half. Half thought he was guilty, half thought he was innocent, and that church died subsequently because of their disagreement over that murder case. The church I was part of before I came here bought that campus, and we worshiped God in the gym where he played basketball supposedly the night his uh, family was murdered. And we, me and the pastor there actually drove from that place to his house to see if it could be done, and we did it in about six minutes. Pastor, do you think he was innocent? I don't know. I'll tell you this. When he was acquitted and released by the state and then play, paid damages for being you know, falsely imprisoned, uh, the evidence was just not clear. And if you go to southern Indiana and Louisville today, they will tell you we just don't know, or they will tell you he's guilty of sin, or some will say he's innocent. But it's a little bit unclear, to say the least. Well, today in the text, we have a man who is clearly guilty. We have an innocent man who will be tried and put through as guilty, even though he is not, and we'll see the guilty walk free. So let's, uh, let's dive into this here. Uh, first of all, let me say this. Luke may be the premier historian in the entirety of Scripture. When you read his writing, his writing is very good. It mimics Greek historians of old. He is well-educated, and his good education comes out in the Greek that he writes. But But Luke is not just a historian. Luke is also a theologian. And so what Luke is doing in this text today is he's not simply describing for you events that happened in the past, but Luke is drawing you in to certain things about this this text that are very important theologically, which have implications for how you live every day. And one of the things that I think he is highlighting in this particular text we're looking at today is this, the opposite ends of the spectrum. And the spectrum is this, he is showing you the (laughs) sinfulness of humanity against the incredible grace of God. That's what's happening in the text today. He's showing you the sinfulness of humanity against the incredible grace of God. So let's look at this. Here's what the crucifixion shows. The crucifixion shows the depth of human depravity. Now, I personally believe humanity is totally depraved. That sounds really bad, but I think this is what the Bible teaches. Now, let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean human beings are as bad as they could be all the time. But that does mean this, that human beings can be pretty bad without much help. <laughs> we, we oftentimes see things that happen in the news, and we want to run quick and say, were they drinking? Were there substance abuse? As Christians with a supernatural worldview, we want to say, uh, was there demonic activity that caused this? Supernatural activity that caused this? And here's the answer sometimes. Sometimes human beings are just wicked. <laughs> They're just wicked. The Bible tells us here we have fallen in Adam and we have a propensity and we can get ourselves in all kinds of trouble without the help of the devil and without the help of of substance abuse. Um, First of all here in this kind of mob control group, I have always personally found it fascinating uh, how mobs work because it is like they lose their ability to... um, to show right and wrong because the consequences of being in the mob sort of remove personal responsibility. Uh, It's kind of like this. When I was in college with my Christian friends, and when I was, let me back up, when I was in college and I'd be around my non-Christian friends, you know, people who didn't believe in the Lord and rejected Christianity, man, I would really 
watch my P's and Q's. I would be very, you know, protected in what I said and how I said it. But then sometimes I get around my Christian friends, particularly the ones I was closer to, and we would sort of give each other permission to sin. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And this is what happens in a mob mentality. Other Christians or this group here, these people are claiming to follow Christ. They're kind of giving each other permission to ask for murder of an innocent man. And it's, a, it's fascinating to me to watch. We've seen this all throughout history, you know. Um, I used to be real big into like rock, rock and roll and uh, grunge music and different things like that. And I, I really, really wanted to go see, wish I could have gone there and been there during Woodstock 69, not for all the weird, you know, stuff, but for the shows. The, I, I enjoy a good rock concert for Who and all those different guys, okay? I, I've always, I've gone, I've gone to see Alice Cooper. I just enjoy a good show, right? So anyhow, a good rock show is something I've, I liked. But they were going to like recreate this thing in 1999. Does anybody remember this? They were going to do Woodstock 99, and they brought these bands in. And I, really, I wanted to go because I liked a lot of the bands that they had on, on the ticket. But by God's grace, I was not permitted to go. And it was an absolute debacle. Like, they, they put all these young men and women in these close quarters, and they were angry. A lot of the music that was played was angry-type music. They started tearing the place apart, burning it to the ground in sections. Uh, there were women that were uh, violated, you know, in, in a mob situation. And so what's funny to me, when people talk about anarchy, they want to say, oh, this, you know, we really want anarchy. There's no, no one's in control. Man, when people clump up like this in crowds and there's a mob rule, they're like fish darting here and there, and they dart here and there just to destruction. So there's a collective guilt in this crowd. There's a collective guilt but there's not just a collective guilt. There's still an individual guilt as well. You know, the people that are leading this chant are the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day. And uh, Jesus has come and he has confronted them and their sickness that really is unto death. And that sickness is their love for money over God. Their love for tradition over the truth and the word. And he's confronted them over and over and over again. And, and, and have we not seen church as we've worked our way through Luke? Jesus has been merciful and said, this is your issue. Now repent and come to me, right? What does Romans tell us? That the gospel is first to the Jew and then also to the Gentile. Christ made that a part of his ministry was extending grace to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees. You know what, the, uh, and you know what their response is to Jesus' pleas to turn from their sin and have life? Their response is, let's kill him. Let's get him out of the way. <laughs> here's, the, here's the modern day equivalent of their thinking and their solution. Let's pretend for a minute you're having a lung problem and you're coughing and you can't stop coughing. So you go to the doctor and he says, does a couple tests, biopsy, scan, comes back and says, listen, you got stage four lung cancer. Probably got about three or four months to live without any kind of intervention, uh, but we can do some things to help you. And you go, doctor, can't believe you told me that. You just take a gun out and you shoot him. <laughs> you just shoot the doctor because he told you what you didn't want to hear. That you have lung cancer. And that's kind of how they're acting here. They're acting this way with Jesus. Jesus has diagnosed them spiritually and told them what their cancer is. And their response is kill him and shut him up. Right? Shut him up. It is shocking and frightening, their response. Now, let's talk here about Barabbas. Barabbas here is what 
several of the other authors in the Gospels call a zealot. There were a lot of Jews who did not like being under the boot of Rome. They, they wanted to be out from under it. They remember the glory days of the Old Testament where David reigned and they all came to Solomon from wisdom all over the world and they wanted Israel to be a superpower again and they wanted it to be out from under Rome, you know, and, and, ruin them, and ruling themselves. And it, they tried several times. At one point in their history, they had a rebellion that lasted several years. But Rome is just too big to take down. They eventually overwhelm them after about three years of insurrection. And they just crush Jerusalem and crush that rebellion and put it down. And so because of these issues, uh, there's a group that they would try to have little rebellion you know, here and there. Well, they can't overthrow Rome, but tell you what we can do. We can take one of those tax collectors that works for Rome, one of the ones we talked about, you know, a Jewish person who's been hired by Rome to collect taxes. We can grab him and cut his hands off, and that way we'll warn those other Jews, you don't do business and collude with the Roman enemies. Uh, We can grab a Roman soldier. We can slit his throat when nobody's looking and leave his dead body out in the street for everybody to see. Uh, we, We can do things like that. We can go in and actually... Uh, Luke uses a word here, excuse me, not Luke, one of the Jewish historians of the day used a word to describe them, and it actually translates into robber. They would go in and they would rob storefronts because then they wouldn't have any money to pay the taxes they owe to Rome. So these were the kind of things that zealots would do. Cut off hands, murder soldiers, steal from other Jews so they couldn't pay their taxes. Sounds like a great bunch of guys, doesn't it? I mean, just sounds like the kind of people you want to spend, you know, Passover with, right? All snuggled up together. Barabbas is one of these guys. It says here in the text, he was a murderer. It's like this is confirmed, you know. And I'm sure the, the night that Jesus was on trial, Barabbas probably went to bed thinking, tomorrow I got a fixed appointment. This is my last sunset. This will be my last sunrise when I wake up. They'll probably give me a cup of water and a piece of stale bread. That'll be my last meal. And then I'm going to be crucified for the crimes that I've done. The reckoning has come. Now, one thing that I think Luke is doing here, though, by inserting Barabbas here, is we're learning some things about how God deals with sin. Uh, In the Old Testament, there's kind of, I got two like $20 theology words I want us to learn today. And so that we can better understand what Luke's drawing a picture of here. Uh, First $20 word is this, propitiation. Propitiation means this, to satisfy God's wrath. To satisfy God's wrath. So in the Old Testament, if you needed to do propitiation, what would you do? You would take a lamb without blemish and you would drain him, kill him. And that blood that was spilled would be a propitiation that would put the wrath of God off for another year until you can get back and do it next year. But there's another aspect of dealing with your sin that the Bible talks about in Leviticus 17, something called a scapegoat. You all read this before? You read about a scapegoat, placing the sins of the people on the scapegoat and hitting him on the hindquarters, and he runs out into the wild probably to be shredded into pieces, but he's gone and supposedly he... He goes out. So we got propitiation, which deals with the wrath. Expiation is how God removes your sin. Expiation. So in this picture here, we're going to see at the cross, you're going to see the propitiation as Jesus' blood is spilt for you and I, and that appeases the wrath of God. 
And we're not just going to see that God's wrath is appeased and now off of us in this mob rule, both collectively and individually. But in addition to that, Luke is pointing out to us there is an expiation here, right? Barabbas here is allowed to go, sort of like a, sort of like a scapegoat. He's allowed to cut free, sort of a flesh and blood image of that. A murderer goes free while a righteous man hangs in the, and did no, did no wrong. All right. You know, um, you want to talk about here about Barabbas' release. Here, Pilate, again, trying to do a loophole. As we saw in the text, I'll just beat him and turn him over. How about this? you got a tradition. We, we release one, one insurrectionist, one zealot to you. So we'll do this. How about we just turn Jesus loose instead, right? They don't go for it. Talk about here an amazing thing that Jesus is doing here. You know, can you imagine Barabbas' reaction when he comes up thinking he's going to be executed that morning and they're talking about his release? (laughs) Could you imagine that? You think your point that's fixed for you to die has now been advanced forward? Now notice something in the text that's not there. Notice Barabbas doesn't exactly raise his hand and say, listen, I've heard of this Jesus fellow and uh, he, he's innocent. I really did kill those people. I'm actually a murderer and I legit should go to the cross, but, you know, I think you should let Jesus go and let me go to the cross, right? Barabbas doesn't volunteer for that, right? He, he takes the exit here. He's glad to, to take the exit and not bear the responsibility of his sin. What's happening here, Pastor? Well, I think the height of judgment's happening here. I want you to think about this for a minute with me. What is the Old Testament? What is it? Well, it's several things, but at a minimum, it's this. The Old Testament is an account of two things. One, the righteous law of God, which reveals His character. And then two, judgment against those who don't keep that law. It is at least those two things. Right? Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament in Genesis, when the Bible tells us that the thoughts of men and women were nothing but evil, what did God do? He told Noah to build a boat and he sent what? A flood and wiped out almost all of wicked humanity. In the Old Testament, when Sodom and Gomorrah got to a point of wickedness to where when two angels, possibly one being precarnate Christ, we don't know for sure, could have been a theophany there, some have argued that, but two visitors were sent there to Lot's house and the men of that town beat against the door in a mob-like frenzy because they wanted to have relations with the two visitors, the forceful relations with the two visitors that were in that home. What was God's judgment? Yeah. He poured out wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah and he annihilated that city. And anybody who looked back would be turned to a pillar of salt. Or what about Jericho and the Canaanites as they had children and they took those precious innocent children and they laid them in the hot arms and fire and sacrificed them to false gods. What was God's judgment on the Canaanites of old? Was it not Joshua and his armies of Israel to take them out and to conquer the land for the Lord? Or what about when the ten northern tribes had their moment to your tent, O Israel, and they began to adopt as they set up new worship places, the practices and worship of the Baals around them and the Dagons around them and all the false gods of their neighbors. What did God do? 
He did the same thing to them that he did to Judah when they turned from the Lord and did not worship him. He sent Nebuchadnezzar and his armies in to flatten them and take them captive and carry them away to Babylon. God's judgment after judgment here for violation of his law that humanity is not able to keep. And here we are. And one of the darkest days of humanity, when the most religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the men who have devoted themselves to the memorizing of Scripture and to the practice of the law, have colluded with the kings of the earth as the king of glory stands before them, and all they want to do with him is execute him. What is God's response? His response to the shock of the reader, is nothing. It's nothing. Because it is Christ who is going to face the judgment of God now. You see, of all those judgments in the Old Testament that came and went, and all the ones that we would still be under, None were as bad as what is going to happen here when God places the penalty of sin on Christ. None of them are as bad. Not the flooding of the world, not the annihilation of a city, not the destruction of nations. None of them are as bad as what will be poured out on Christ on the cross. What is this? This, this beloved, this is the moment that God allows the armies of hell to do their absolute worst to His Holy One. Not one of those who plot and scheme and cry for, those blood, for His blood. All of them are going to go on and live life. Now, the beautiful thing about Luke, Acts is sort of part two of Luke. We're going to see in a few weeks from this moment, a group of 3,000 Peter will preach to in Jerusalem and they will come to know Christ. And they will say, what shall we do? And Peter will say, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people will respond. Some, I'm sure, have overlapped from this mob into the one who turned to Christ. God here is demonstrating to what length He will go to to save His people. This is a beautiful picture of the length of the love of God. What about those who refuse his invitation, Pastor? Remember the parable of the master of the banquet? The one who made all these invitations to the important people of his day because if you wanted to be anybody, you had to invite the who's who of your time into your home, feed them, you scratch their back, they scratch your back, and he invites them all and none of them come. I have a field I have to tend to. I was just married. I can't come. And what does he do? At first, the master of the banquet is angry. And then what does he tell the tenants? He says, go out. Bring in the cripple, bring in the blame, uh, bring in the blind, bring in all of those and fill this banquet hall. Right? When they did that, he said, Now go out into the streets and call out to those who will come. It's a beautiful picture here, isn't it? Those Jews who are in control, those who had the promises of God, those who had the law of God, the true stewards, those who are in control of the vineyard. Right? The son is there. God is sending by his mercy and grace. And what are they going to do? They're going to murder him. You know, here, 
Here is the reality of this text. This is the reality of it. If this is truly a picture of our depravity as human beings, that when the King of Glory shows up, our solution and our response to that, when God sends the King of Glory, is to kill Him, was don't think you wouldn't have been in that crowd hollering with Him either, right? Crucify Him! Crucify Him! It's a double imperative. It's the strongest form of calling out to do something that you can have. It's imperative that you drink this drink in order that you can live. If you don't drink this drink today, you will surely die. That's an imperative statement. Drink this drink. Drink this drink now. That's what they're saying. Crucify him. Crucify him. The only thing that will satisfy this mob of people is the death of Christ on a cross. They want to see him bleed and die. If that is truly the response of when the King of Glory shows up that we have in our depraved state, then the only thing that can save us is the grace of God. The only thing that can save us is the grace of God. This is the necessity of grace, isn't it? If we are truly that sinful, and I would argue that we are, if the Lord of Glory can stand in our midst and we want Barabbas, we want the guilty over the innocent, The only thing that can save us is the grace of God. Finally here, the opportunity of substitution. They all want us to see here, I think what Luke wants us to see here is the necessity of Jesus for us. You know, really, Barabbas is like like each of us, isn't he? He's just like us. Barabbas is like us. He is guilty and condemned. And he is headed for a cross. He has a fixed point in time in which he will die. He knows the day. By the way, did you know there was a rumor this week that I died? There was a rumor in this community that I had died. It happened at First Baptist Church on Wednesday night. Pastor of that church was in prayer meeting. Somebody raised their hand and said, please pray for Grace Baptist Church here in town. Their pastor, young guy that uh, has uh, three kids or five kids at home there, he died unexpectedly this week, and the, my pastor friend said that he, he's, his color changed because we were supposed to have lunch. He said his color changed, his face went white, and he said, he's, he died? And they said, yeah, yeah, he died. Turns out there was another uh, young pastor of a Grace Baptist Church in like Wilkinsboro, North Carolina, and that pastor was, uh, actually did die this week unexpectedly, and they had crossed the wires and confused me with him. So I'm glad to report to you that... The reports of my demise are grossly overestimated, as Mark Twain would say, and I'm still kicking for now. But here's the reality of this text. The point, there, there is a point in time fixed when we will die. There's a point in time that God has in mind where it doesn't matter how many times you wash your hands, doesn't matter how many times you hit the gym, doesn't matter how many times you wear a mask, you will die. You won't outrun it. You can't pay enough in medical bills. It's going to happen. The question is this, though. What are you going to face that death with? Are you going to face that day like Barabbas and just sort of take your chances on what you've done? Or will you face that death with a substitute that's died on a cross for you and your sins to take away your guilt? Will you face that with a propitiation for your sins and an expediation for your sins in Jesus Christ? Or will you just see how it works out? Here's what I have to do. You have the same choice of the mob in this text today. The same choice. Who is Jesus? 
Not so much who do you think he is, but who is he actually? The response of Pilate here is not sufficient. All he wants to do is brush Jesus off and live life the way he wants. It's not sufficient. You stand like Barabbas with your guilt intact, with no propitiation, no expediation for you. But you do have the opportunity of Barabbas. You know, we don't know what happened to him. The gospel writers don't say what happened to him. We don't have a record in early church history of what happened to him. I personally hope Barabbas came to Christ. It would seem to me that if you let an innocent man go to, go to your cross, that that would bother you for the rest of your days. I hope there's a shred of humanity left. Another thing I thought about this week as I was preparing this message, think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. What does he do here? He enters in Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, doesn't he? It wasn't his donkey, was it? It was a borrowed donkey. And now he's going to take up Barabbas' borrowed cross. He's on a borrowed donkey. He's going to be crucified on a borrowed cross. And when he dies, and as the King James says, gives up the ghost, and his body is lifeless, they're going to lay him in a what? A borrowed tomb, aren't they? It's not his tomb, is it? It belongs to a rich man. Borrowed donkey, borrowed cross, a borrowed tomb. For what? So that the Lord may seat him on a throne that is his and his alone. So that he can sit on that throne and reign supreme where no one else could. You know, the urgency that death creates. Death creates the urgency for you to make your decision. You have the opportunity to Barabbas before you. You have the opportunity to walk away innocent with your sin, wrath covered, and with it taken away. The question is, what will you do with it? Pilate says in here three times, I don't find anything wrong with him. They answer back, crucify him. What is in that call? Lord, not your will, but mine. And that's the choice today, isn't it? What, what will you have? Your will or the Lord's? What will you have? Barabbas or Jesus? Jesus was delivered to their will so that I could be delivered over to God's. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. How true, how good, how perfect it is. Lord, as we stand before you today, we have the opportunity of Barabbas. We have the guilt of him as well. Lord, we need your blood to cover our sins. We need Christ as our only means of salvation. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is far from you and doesn't know you, either online or here today, that you would bring them close, that they would be reconciled to you. I pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to now move into a time of response to the gospel preached. You've heard the gospel today. You have heard the only means by which your, your sin can have the wrath removed and how, how it can be uh, removed forever, like in Leviticus 17 and the scapegoat. What is your response? Or if you'd like to respond to that today, I'll be in the back to receive you. Or if you want to be part of this church family or be baptized, we can start that process today as we sing. Please stand. Please stand.